0: Isaiah chapter 45, we left off right before the 20th verse, so Isaiah 45 verse 20. The title of this evening's message is, Enough with the Idols. A person can be an idol worshiper without ever praying to a statue. All they have to do is join the made-up ideas about God that are out there or created in one's own head. In Genesis... In the 6th chapter, before the flood of Noah, we read about how things were a little bit. In verse 5, Then Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And then in contrast, we meet Noah. In Verse 9, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. So you have one group, the walking according to their own imagination about life, creation, everything else, and then you have Noah walking with God. Nothing has changed in all of these uh, thousands of years. We still have people who walk according to the imagination of their own hearts, and then we have those who walk with God. It's interesting that in Luke, Mary, you know, her, her mini-psalm in Luke chapter 1 is just very doctrinally sound, very beautiful. She says, he has shown great strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Well, What does that say to people who imagine they can worship her? She would never tolerate such a thing. So that's what uh, Isaiah is dealing with. These are covenant people who are apostate. They've fallen away from the faith. Whether uh, full-blown apostates or not, you know, flying beneath the radar in those days, but in their heart, or trying to mingle in uh, idolatry into the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. Of course, there was always the righteous remnant at the least, but... He's continuing to address this insanity of man making God. So verse 20, assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations, they have no knowledge who carry the wood of their carved image, and pray to a God that cannot save. Because he's not there. And as Elijah was mocking this imaginary God there on Mount Carmel centuries earlier. Well, Isaiah is just saying it like it is. Even today, if you saw it calling people out on their idea of what deity is, you know, you, you catch a lot of them trying to defend themselves. Instead of just coming to the simple understanding that a man cannot imagine what God looks like and get away with it. Or what he, how he behaves. There's something in these things for every generation. Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, it's not enough to be instructed. It's not enough to have knowledge. You've got to know what to do with that information. This is what wisdom is. And so when he says, assemble and come, draw near together you who have escaped from the nations... They have no knowledge who carry wood. he makes that contrast that they're ignorant uh, most of the time by choice concerning his people. Those who have escaped the nations would be looking to the future. Babylonian captivity. So, I can take a lot more time with all these things. There's so much information. You know what takes my time up in pre- preparing is cutting things out so I can finish within an hour. Because there's so much to God's word. And, of course, I'm just one person scratching the surface from one perspective. There's so much more. Anyway, he says here in verse 20, And pray to a God that cannot save. This is what they were doing. Again, the Mary worshippers refused to see that she cannot save souls. Praying to her is equal to praying to the dead. And then they get in a huff when you point it out as though you're picking on them. Uh, if we wanted to harm them we would encourage them to continue in the sin. Uh, even she declared her need for a savior Luke 1 verse 47 and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. well if you were sinless you wouldn't need a savior. Uh, Christ needed no savior so much so much more to to Mary uh, and the story concerning her um, <laughs> one of the you young, One's asked me about Mary at the wedding of Cana. He has an interesting point about that. He said, woman, what does that have to do with me? Why didn't he say mom or mother? Well, because she, he was not under her th- parental authority. Uh, she was a subject in need of a savior. The last words of Mary we have in the scripture are, do what he says. I, that speaks volumes. Well, uh, moving on, verse twenty-one. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this? Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I, Yahweh? And there is no other god besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. What is not clear about that? Enough with the idols. Why are you still making up stuff? Why? I mean, there's, it's, the Bible tells us this one Savior, and it makes it clear. Jesus is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. We're coming to that in just a moment. And it's, you know, the prophet Hosea said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Well, the beginning of knowledge. Is, is vital. And that's why we early on we try to attack the enemy by raising up our kids to see the word of God and its truth. And so a simple truth made complicated by separated hearts. Hearts that are separated from God because of sin. Uh, he says to the ends of the earth, well, I do not believe there's life in outer space unless there's an astronaut up there. That's launched from Earth. And, uh, uh, you know, it's quite presumptuous of people to think that they've got all this technology playing Uh, hide-and-seek. Well, anyway, maybe some of you believe in, you know, Martians and things like that. Well, what if I'm right, which I am. (laughs) But just what if you were right, if, if you disagree with my position, which you wouldn't be. That's really not an issue. Well, it can be. It can be a big issue theologically, because you have to account for death and sin. I don't believe a lot of this stuff that's coming out about them. Anyway, one of these days, maybe I've got so much information ready to preach on that to justify uh, these things from Scripture. But for now, we are here in Isaiah. Now, in verse 42, uh, 22 here, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. This is a repeated uh, statement by, the, by God through the prophet. This verse brought the light of salvation to Charles Haddon, Haddon Spurgeon, who lived from 1834 to 1892. And he is one of the greatest uh, preachers uh, after the Apostles. And when he was 15 years old, well, just before I get to his experience of salvation, as a preacher, is one of my favorite quotes. He said, "Whitfield and Wesley. Now, these were two great preachers that preceded him, uh, and they preached in England and they preached in the United States. Uh, Wesley was in the States, but he, he didn't really launch into a deep relationship with God till he went back to England. But anyway... Whitfield and Wesley said Spurgeon might preach the gospel better than I do, but they could not preach a better gospel. Such a simple statement, and so profound. Incidentally, he preached just as good as them. Uh, they may uh, Wesley wrote better, but Spurgeon was just uh, a dynamo, and so powerful was his sermons that uh, they would they would uh, s- uh, stenographers would write down his sermons, and they would go out throughout the world, the Penny Sermons. 3,500 of them still exist, and you can buy the 64-set volume uh, of Spurgeon Sermons, the Metropolitan Pulpit Tabernacle. Nowadays, you can get it on your phone, um, but me, I've got the real stuff too, the books, uh, and it was uh, a gift from God. 60, uh, and I think I've read about uh, about 200 of those sermons, but I got no time for that. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, just to give you an idea of, of just how rich this, this man was in, uh, in being gifted by the Lord. Well, anyway, at 15 years old, despite a Christian upbringing, infant christening, which is not really scriptural, uh, Raised in a congregational church, they, they, they love the Lord. Um, he read his Bible daily, he prayed every day, and yet he still lacked this personal relationship with the risen Savior. So one January, Sunday morning in 1850, he's on his way to, to church with a deep sense of need for God. And it happened to be in the midst of a snowstorm. And on his way to the church, he was diverted because of the storm, and he turned down a side street, and he ducked into a primitive Methodist church. That's what they call themselves. It's not an insult. Uh, so, so anyway, he, he ducks into the church, and there was an unknown lay preacher that stepped into the pulpit, and he read this verse. Look, to me, and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Well, Spurgeon writes this about this conversion of his. He said, he had not much to say, thank God. (laughs) It's funny, right? But he really actually, a little twist here. He says, for that compelled him to keep on repeating the text. And there was nothing needed by me, at any rate, except this text. Then, Stopping, he pointed to where I was sitting under the gallery, it's the balcony, under the balcony, and he said, That young man there looks very miserable. May I do that right now and point to one (laughs) of the young (laughs) men? He shouted, As I think it, as I think only a primitive Methodist can, Look, look, young man, look now. Then I had this vision. Not a vision to my eyes, but to my heart. I saw what the Savior Christ was. Now I can never tell you how it was, but I no sooner saw whom I was to believe. I understood what it was to believe, and I did believe in that moment. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Just needed, you know. When a when a pastor starts repeating himself, been he's bad. He's, he wants to get out of there, but God uses it. Uh, I have a recurring nightmare, probably once a year. I've had it once a year for about ten years. That I come up here, and I, I'm not prepared, and it's just, I wake up and I say, "Man, I get right to work." <laughs> not going to get me anyway. Verse twenty-three, uh, not wanting to lose the power of verse. 42, uh, verse 22. Now we come to verse 23 and Isaiah continues to tell what God told him. I have shown by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me every knee shall bow every tongue shall take an oath. And that oath is a confession in case you get tripped up how it moves into the New Testament. Where he says I have sworn by myself He's saying this is divine law. Now, of course, this event in its ultimate fulfillment is still future. However, it happens on an individual level when someone comes to Christ. There is um, no apology from God about who he is. He changes not. Divine perfection needs no alterations or improvement. It would be like painting gold. Uh, Why would you do that? The New Testament applies this verse directly to Jesus Christ. And that's what I mean. The New Testament comes along and says, Hey, Christ is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. He lived... When he said before Abraham was, I am. He was saying, I'm self existence I've always been there. Uh, he, He did not begin to live at the virgin birth. He just... That was the beginning of his humanity, phase two. So... Philippians 2, Paul writing to that church in Philippi, a very positive letter, only a few rebukes. He says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and those in heaven, of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he retains the Godhead, which is taught in the Old Testament, just using uh, the plural nouns. For example, in Deuteronomy, listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You start opening that up in the Hebrew, and it, it is, um, it's qu- quite impressive how God has uh, arranged his word for us. Then Romans 14, Paul writes... For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, I thought we we're standing before the judgment seat of God. Well, we are. It's synonymous. Christ, the Savior, is a manifestation of God. Uh, he continues. For it is written, "As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now remember, Paul was an Old Testament scholar before he became a Christian. He understood these verses and he knew Christ. And so we have this, you know, there are no other gods. I am the Savior. There are no other saviors. And Jesus Christ is it. And this offends. This offends someone who does, who wants to follow the imagination of, of men, whether it be themselves or someone else. And, of course, universities have become indoctrination centers, as we know, not only for uh, the hatred of America and its freedoms, but uh, against God, uh, against the God of the Bible. Anyway, verse 24, He shall say, Surely in Yahweh I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. Well, that's an, a real application. He's, he, he's talking about the Christ but in the future, but in the present, Yahweh. There's a verse in Luke that I have often repeated to myself to keep, help keep myself in check when I don't care for the methods of God. And uh, everybody gets to a place where they don't... Really care how God is doing? something. we submitted to it. He's God, but we wish He did it a little differently. And uh, you know, Paul, Paul to get to Rome, wouldn't it have been nice to just catch a direct flight and, and land in Rome? But no. Uh, so Jesus, knowing that life is just more complicated than He could explain to us, defaults to faith. And he says in Luke 7, 23, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. It's a beatitude. Uh, the one that is in rhythm with me, no matter what, is the one that's going to be better off. The one who gets out of rhythm with me going to have a bumpier ride. So um, here he shall say, surely in Yahweh, I have righteousness and strength, verse 24, to him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. Well, you know, as the, the title of that old play, your arms are too short to box with God. You're going to lose, and that's, if you're incensed against him, uh, listen, a bitter root goes a long way, causes a lot of problems Not only to others around that person who's so bitter, but to the person themselves. And so Paul writes about that uh, in Hebrews, saying that uh, a bitter root has caused many to fall. Verse 25, in the Lord, all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Well, all those walking with the Lord, as we say, in Christ, in Yahweh, always a remnant. God always has somebody that believes in him. It, we found Noah and, and his family, and then it was Enoch. I mean, it, there's always a remnant. Romans 11, so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so there's Paul saying, all Israel is going to be saved, and I'm going to back it up with what God promised, because I believe in the Bible, and that's what he that's why he references Isaiah. We'll get to that later in latter chapters. Verse 46 now, uh, I, I'm, pardon me, Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah 46 has to do with God's determination to destroy Babylon, which is infested with idolatry. You know, some would call it the cradle of idolatry, of, of formalized idolatry. Isaiah 47 gets into the destruction, the fulfillment of God's uh, plan to deal with Babylon. It was so bad, it was almost like God would be wrong if he didn't deal with Babylon, if, if I, you can express it that way without, you know, insulting God, which I certainly am not willing to do. Uh, so one writer, one commentator said, Isaiah's polemic, that is... His attack on the foolish doctrines of Babylon, oh, or idolatry. Isaiah's polemic against foreign idols reaches a dramatic climax as he satirizes Babylonian gods, ridiculing the powerlessness of the man made statues. Well, amen. I only did that quote, I wanted to steal that dramatic climax, I like that line, but that would have been a little plagiaristic, so I had to read the whole thing. Anyhow, (laughs) singling out a belief in another religion that is, or practice in Christianity, that is clearly forbidden by God, and I should say Christendom, not Christianity, uh, whether it is Romanism or Islam, we say, hey, the, our, our scripture uh, rebukes that, condemns that. Uh, that does not mean we're trying to pick a fight with the people per se. But it does mean we side with God, the God of the Bible. And if he condemns such behavior false be as we view it to be false, then we're going to stick to that point. Well, that has caused the deaths of many Christians. That's what Christian martyrs are made out of. And uh, today, it's, you know, if you get your right to have your beliefs, then I got my right to have mine. And we're living in, of course, a culture that is, you can't disagree with me. We'll destroy your character. We'll destroy your ability to to, uh, make a living. We'll fire you. Um, Well, you know, we're going to have to learn how to deal with that. Not the first rodeo Christians have Been on. Um, I've never been to a rodeo, but I like that phrase. Anyhow, verse 1 Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols were on the beast and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. Well, he's now satirizing, he's lampooning, because he's putting it in writing, these foreign religions. And, you know, they are Christians that get, you know, why are you picking on them? Because they're wrong. And you are too <laughs> for coming to their defense. You better choose what side you're on. Uh, the Levites said, we're over here with you and Yahweh, Moses. And, um, and God never forgot their allegiance to him. Uh, God wanted all his people to be Levites, or in, in, at least the office of the Levite, but they forfeited that. And it, the, the Levites, of course, they... It went to them. Long before what we know as Greek and then Roman theology, there was Mesopotamian uh, mythology and theology. Theology is the study of God. Mythology, of course, is uh, things that never happened. Bottom line, belief in lies. In pagan thought, the gods and the idols, or maybe I'll say it this way, in pagan thought, the gods inhabited the very idol. So when you made, you fashioned an idol out of some material, the god would then come live in that one. And, uh, you know, the whole neighborhood had these statues, and they believed this. This is They believed they were inseparable. Um, the New Testament, of course, we believe that God inhabits the person, the living person, the Holy Spirit in our in our hearts. The body is a temple that houses the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> For the Jews, the presence of God was manifested in the Shekinah, and uh, His presence uh, was not guaranteed. If if they pushed Him to the point of departure, He departed, and that Ezekiel talks about the Holy the the, the, the Shekinah departing the temple because of the sins of the people. I don't know if there's another religion that owns their disobedience to their God and the punishment they receive for it. Um, They they may blame somebody else, but um, the, the Jews, you know, when they suffered, it was because they had disobeyed their scripture and therefore their God. Well, Bel, another name for Marduk, the chief god of the Babylonians and their hierarchy of God, their totem poles, uh, they said he was the creator. Well, of course, Isaiah is countering that. He says, no, Yahweh uh, is the creator. And he scoffs at their myths. Now, when I first started studying the Bible, I'd get the reference materials and I'd try to learn about these foreign gods and I realized, what am I doing? These things are made up. I don't care. I don't care what they thought. They're false. So, um, does it ever matter? Yes, it does matter sometimes. And I'm glad we have those men and women who have put together reference material for us to, to look at these things when we need. And here's an example. When Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra, they thought, after Paul healed a man, that they were the gods that had come down, Zeus and Hermes. They thought Paul was Hermes. And the reason why they thought Paul was Hermes is because Hermes is the messenger of the gods. And Paul was the one doing all the preaching. So in that case, you say, okay, I understand why they thought he was this and what's going on showing the the depth of their ignorance. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, you know, they they could barely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. And then in that same town shortly after, they stoned Paul to death and he shook it off, walk it off, Paul, Walk it off <laughs> so anyway uh I don't really care too much about well, Bell was and nebo was who it's all junk uh but if it if it is pertinent, then of course we'll we can we can reference material and find out who the people thought they were. anyway, it is a little bit important to understand Marduk was considered the creator in the literature that is still uh, from those those times. Um, Either way, these two gods of theirs could not stop Assyria nor Cyrus from coming and conquering them. And where is Babylon now, the ancient city of Babylon? Well, it's more of a museum piece than anything. It's not a functioning city, uh, what's left of it. Uh, But the gods that the Babylonians worshipped were carried away with the people. When the people were carried away as, as prisoners. Or they were looted. A combination of things happening over the centuries. But when they went into captivity, so did their gods. And so it says here their idols were on the beast and on the cattle. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the animals were more alive than the idols. And, uh, you know, a god that has to be carried is a God that can be carried away. And uh, he's trying to appeal to people who are into this stuff. Is remember, you know, as as when we try to deal with people who are into the New Age movement, which I don't think gets too much publicity or attention uh, these days. Now we're in the narcissistic age where people on uh, are just crazy out in the middle of the street doing selfies and just for what? It's so... Anyway, I'm getting off course. The Philistines, when David began dealing with them, this is what we read in 2 Samuel, and they left their images there. And David and his men carried them away. <laughs> Pulverized them. Uh, did whatever they needed with the materials. Anyway, he says here in verse 1, well, we're only in verse 1, we've got to get going. And we don't want another broken chapter. Um, or Anyway, your carriages were heavily loaded a burden to the weary beast. And so again the animals were stuck hauling these this dead weight. There were so many of them they just piled them on. Or it could have just been a couple of one, made out of stone or something. Either way, he's saying that you know this is a silly picture. You're 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 not being protected by these gods, but you're still trying to hold on to them. Well, you know uh, what do you say to that? Uh, you know, it, Isaiah sets up the contrast between the dead passive idols that must be carried in Yahweh, of course, who carries his people. Um, that they weren't worthy of, the, of worship. Verse 2, they stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden but have themselves gone into captivity. The, the crouching, the stooping, and the bowing down are as uh, they're crouching as conquered prisoners. Uh, there, there's nothing. They're humiliated. They could not deliver the burden. It's funny when Israel or, or Judah was finally conquered. The unbelievers said to the Jews, "You were whooped because you didn't obey your God." Now that does not mean that their theology was totally intact because they had that localized God thing. They believed that the, you know, your God of Judah should have protected you in Judah. And our God, Marduk, protects us in Babylon. Uh, but it was, that element was, was that part was true. Um, where did they get that? Well, Jeremiah's writings were certainly circulated in Babylon. Um, and so much so that the Jews accused him of being uh, a conspirator with the Babylonians, which was never the case. Anyway, uh, they could not deliver the burden the idols couldn't, could, could not help the animals carry them. Uh, they themselves have gone into captivity. Uh, idol can't lift a man to heaven, but it sure can drag him down to hell. And again, the idol does not have to be made of material. It could be made of in the imagination. Uh, a person who says, I think God is, and just doesn't get it from anywhere. Or gets it from somebody who didn't get it from anywhere. Uh, that 's idolatry uh, every you all you young Christians, you should be able to define what is idolatry it 's man making his God, uh, even in just a little bit it just takes a little pinch uh, to to ruin the whole thing. Faith knows about this conflict faith sees it you know this isn 't between Jerusalem and Babylon this is between hell and heaven, the fight over souls. much of this is fulfilled in waves as I alluded to earlier, the Assyrians. Uh, Later, Jeremiah talks about the Moabite God, Chemosh, being taken away the same way. The ultimate fate of false worship is doom. Revelation 19, Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, And those who worshipped his image. Look at that. Modern man is still at it. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Well, if you don't believe that, God's going to say, okay, then I'm not going to do it. (laughs) That's not going to happen. He's going to do it. Verse 20 of, I mean, verse 10 of Revelation 20. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever without end. Now, this deception, we're going to come to that again in a little bit when we talk about the world being drunk and insane with idolatry. Verse 3, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb. Look, there was enough evidence in Isaiah's day to walk back to Egypt and see that the Jews were there en masse, that there was this enormous population of Jews in Egypt. How'd they get out of there? There was enough evidence still that the Canaanites and the Philistines lived in the Promised Land. How did they get out of there? How did this transplant take place? Well, there was evidence, tangible evidence in those days. But it has not been preserved, which is no surprise. I mean, they've stripped the pyramids of their outer shell. The, the, the Muslims have gone out of their way to destroy any evidence of the Jewish president, presence on the Temple Mount or anywhere else they can, they can corrupt it. But it's too late. We have a record and it's maintained. And we have it In the Jewish writings of the prophets, and we have it in the apostles and prophets of the New Testament. Notice I said prophets and apostles uh, in writings, because Luke was not, for example, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But he was a speaker. God did speak through him, which makes him a prophet in that strict sense and proper sense of the word. And he was a Gentile. So, and he gives us the the book of Luke, and he gives us the book of Acts. Uh, I don't remember, that's, I don't know, some percent of the New Testament or more. Anyway, um, verse 3, where he says, Listen to me, O Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth. He's talking to the apostates and the faithful. The faithful need to hear these things too that God carried his people in contrast to people carrying idols. Exodus 19, uh, we read, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, it doesn't mean he had them on his wings, because eagles don't do that, put their little chicks in their wings and fly them around. That would be impressive. And if you've seen anything like that, I'd like to know about it. But I think the idea is, uh, you know, you have this eagle. They're incredibly strong for how much they weigh. Um, they can pick you know, pick up some pretty big things and fly away with them. Um, one time I saw an eagle flying with a Yugo. <laughs> oh, no, would, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> anyway, the idea, of course, in a time when such large birds were everywhere... Um, they would get the understanding that God had taken them up in his talons of love and carried them out of Egypt. And so Isaiah is going back to their roots. Now, the remnant also applies to those not born yet, a hundred and some thirty years away from this prophecy that are going to come back to Judah and it's all documented now. It has happened as the so, so accurate, of course, the naysayers. Well, somebody, it's an interpolation. Somebody came and wrote that on top of the story. No. How come you just can't accept it? Yeah, because you, you know. Then you have to be accountable. And you do not want that. You do not want to be accountable to the God of Israel, who is the Christ, because you want to do your own thing. And that is idolatry. This sets a precedence. So when Isaiah wrote this, future generations would read this and say, that's us. We are living out what the prophet said. We are the people he was talking about. This sets the precedence for great tribulation saints, converts, and us. So during the great tribulation, which hasn't happened yet, they are going to be people coming to Christ. They're going to be reading the revelation of Christ, seeing that, you know what? We're going to die for our faith. And the righteous Jews are going to say, well, we're not going to die, so we're going to, we're going to make the most out of this, and we are, we're not going to waste this protection. We're going to preach. And that's what's going to happen. We can look at the Scripture and see ourselves in it. One place, one of my favorites, is Daniel 12. God said to Daniel, but, You, Daniel, shut up the words, he doesn't just say shut up, (laughs) shut up the words, I would have translated that differently, (laughs) and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Well, that many to and fro, these are, this is emphatic, Uh, this isn't just people traveling on carts. This would include, looking back at that now, we can see this is air air travel. At any time, there are probably, I think, what's the number, 300,000 people in the sky? Uh, That number might be a little bit lower. I know it's higher than 60,000, but if you count all the planes that are in just get the plane app. I don't know what it's called. I have it on my phone. I like to look at that. And the shipping one, too, is pretty much fun. Look at all the places I don't want to go to. Anyway... Uh, you can see, man, there's a lot of stuff on the sea and in the air. Well, Daniel says, and knowledge shall increase. Now, you tell me, how, for how many centuries have human beings been relatively the same before real indoor plumbing, HVAC, or, I mean, it's just, we, the modernization has just left most of history behind. And if you you can go online, and there's so many experts. You can find 10 people that are experts on pencil erasers. None of them agreeing with themselves. All of them with data. And you just say, man, there's too much information for humans to process. Do one on dieting. Oh, man, it's just, you, you end up saying, well, I know this about food, that a napkin does a pretty good job. Other than that, it's a free-for-all. This one hates that one. Well, knowledge has increased. But will you know what to do with this knowledge? That's the catch. And so the humble fisherman just said, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, God has given us the aptitude to do many things. Whatever that aptitude you have discovered that you have, you work it to the glory of God. Some are very good uh, at, uh, in mathematics. Others are good in athletics. Whatever it is, some are just physically strong. Some are just very creative. Whatever it is, you find out what it is a Christian. You outdo as many people in the workplace as you can without getting in the flesh. You just do such a good job. And you let the Lord use that witness... To lead people to Christ, look if you're—I don't—if you're stacking boxes and you're the worst box stacker in the warehouse, nobody's going to be interested in your savior. But if you're like, man, that guy's dependable. He may not be the best, but he's dependable. That's going to help your witness, and that will. God can use that kind of stuff. And anyway, we saw the precedence there. God saying to the Jews, "You're going to you're going to benefit from my words when you're bring being brought back." From the captivity in Babylon, and which they did, they read these things and say, "Hey, that's us!" Uh, and the temple was rebuilt. Verse four: Even to your old age, I am He, and even to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear; even I will carry, and will deliver you. So Isaiah continues to harass the pseudo brilliance of. Idolatry. Pseudo is a good word for you teens if you don't know it. Uh <laughs> Some of you know that song. Uh, P s e u d o is pseudo. It's uh, it's everywhere, and you'll you'll like it. You'll start using it on your friends all the time. Uh, anyway, you are pseudo cool. Deservedly, he's lampooning man's quest to be the God-maker. And he's using these words that the true God is doing, which the false gods cannot do. Carry, made, bear, deliver. Yahweh does that. Their gods do not. We'll contrast this a little bit more. Without exception, every false religion... Every man-made religion, which, which, what, require, what makes a false religion? It's man-made. It's not from the revelation of God. It's from the imagination of men. It's speculation or revelation. Which one are you going to pick? Well, each one of them, they're blind, drunk, crippled, and crazy. Well, let's look at that. Um, and and don't, don't let someone give you that. Well, why can't others be right, too? For the same reason, wheels are round, not square or rectangular. The, it doesn't work. That's why. That's why they can't be in the club. It just you know, if they don't like it, change sides. It's not like God says, "Well, it's too late for you." Unless you're Calvinist. But anyway, <laughs> come back. Uh, don't pick on them. They love God too. Let me pick on them. No, no, they, they they do love the Lord. No, no, I'm not questioning that at all. We just disagree on that point. Anyway. Uh, I said it was blind because it can't see the truth because it's eyes, they have chosen to close their eyes. We covered that last chapter. It is drunk. That is, it has an altered mental state because of an outside influence. And in this case, it is evil, an evil influence. It is cripple in that it is defective. It cannot walk with God because it refuses to walk walk together unless they are agreed. No, they cannot. Enoch walked with God because he was submitted to God. And it is absolutely crazy because it is absolutely irrational. So when I say false religions are blind, drunk, crippled, and crazy, uh, which you can't say today because everybody's so, you can't say crazy. Some people are really crazy. I know some people are really crazy. I I just drove on the road with them on the way to church. There's like 50 of them. Uh, Anyway, is it wrong to follow people home? (laughs) True story. Today there was this person who made me sit at the light. I'm trying to be a good Christian because I know, you know, you're supposed to do that. (laughs) And they made me sit at the light, and they they pedaled on, and they were annoying me the whole time. They were like 10 miles beneath the speed limit. It's not like they were a senior citizen. And even if they were, so am I. <laughs> so anyway, they go their way, and I, come, I take a shortcut, and I see them again. And, I'm, and they, they turn where I'm turning. And I said, if they turn, I'm going to look. But they went straight, and I thought, I wonder what the people tonight would think if I told them I followed them <laughs> to their driveway. Anyway. Life on earth. Ah, you should have been there. That's what, nobody says that in heaven. <laughs> nobody. Oh, something, things that don't happen in heaven. One of them is, well, how's your day? Nobody's going to ask that question. Anyway, verse, uh, where am I? De- Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. That's what he told his own people. If you If you forsake me. If you start worshiping your imaginations, this is what's going to happen to you. And it has happened. Uh, And fortunately, it's not the end of the story. All Israel will be saved. But uh, much of Israel falls into the category now of a false religion because they have um, not followed through. It doesn't matter if you are uh, 10 feet from safety and you die there. You didn't make it. You need to get all, all the way. Uh, Anyway, uh, to be led by God is to be carried by God for the Christian. Romans 8, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Being led will offend immature Christians or Christians in the flesh. Especially if you're in a position of decision making. Uh, And you say, oh, the Lord's not leading me there. (gasps) Oh, brother. Uh, Speaking of diets, I've been looking at this. Just watching a lot of them, learning a lot of stuff. Not planning to do anything with it, but well, not much. But I'm not a big, if I'm going to eat, my favorite meat is sacred cow. (laughs) And Christianity has got a lot of them. Anyway, I'm so glad I don't have any (laughs) hang-ups. I'm glad you laugh at that. The eyes of God are here in this verse. If we count the personal pronouns, five times we read the Lord say that uh, on behalf of them, I am he, I will carry you, I have made, I will bear, I will carry and deliver you. This is still alive for New Testament Christians. This is blessed assurance of the presence of God. No Christian that loves the Lord should worry about their salvation. Uh, any more than you are afraid of screwdrivers because you might grab one and stick it in an outlet. Oh, I don't want to go near that. I might just grab it and go out of control. Look at me. Look, you come to Christ, you ain't going anywhere unless you 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 plan to eject. I mean, it's your call. I believe in free will to the end, but I also believe that Christians are kept by the power of God as long as they want to be. There's never going to be a hostage situation, right? You can't get out of here. Too late. You made a confession. You're not going anywhere. Sit down. Uh, that's not to me. That's not right. Uh, I wouldn't charge that. Uh, you know, you can't. You can't accuse. All right, let's just move on. It's just easy. Anyway, God's as yours as people. Psalm seventy-one. You know, because as you age, you know, you start you start losing a lot of things, but you gain some stuff too. You can see stupid from miles away. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Who would want to trade that? <laughs> you might not be able to run fast enough to get away from stupid, but you can see it. <laughs> and everybody is scratching their head, what, you don't like this? So, so, anyway, you, you know, you go to the checkout and you can, this is a true story. And I said to myself, young lady, you're going to end up in a sermon. <laughs> so I go to get a shoehorn and I get to the checkout and she says, what's this? No, first it started, I said, well, they didn't have shoe banjos, so I had to get the shoe horn. And she was like, "Duh, what's that? She did. She says, what is it? I said, it's a shoe horn. What is that? Look, I'll show you. (laughs) So I explained it to her, and she was not impressed. But I was. I said, you're going to be in a sermon. You just wait. Anyway. That happened about a month ago. I've been suppressing it ever since. (laughs) So, Psalm 71. Now, also, when I was old, let me read. Now, also, when I am old and gray headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. There is a saint writing saying, Lord, no matter how old I get, may I die preaching. May I die serving you. And if you can't line up for formation on the battlefield because you're too old, you can pray overlooking the battlefield. They're both needed. Joshua would have lost with all of his muscle and swords. Had Moses not been up there praying for him over the battlefield, they would have lost. Don't sell yourself short. Uh, You know, if you have this wisdom that uh, over, from over the years, guard it, learn what, how to apply it, and God will bring people to it. You know, the older saints, you have a lot of stories. You know, maybe God will send people who are actually interested. And you younger Christians, tap into some of the old-timers and ask them, so what did you do for a living? Or, you know, make conversation. You'll be amazed. War stories are transferable. You can benefit from learning about other people on the battlefield. Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And that uh, is, does not have an age limit. It doesn't say, oh, up until, uh, it doesn't work that way. So, uh, anyway, lessons for our closer to home bound Christians. That was a joke. Anyway, come back to this. Verse 5, Uh to whom will you liken me, and make me equal, and compare me, that, you, that we should be alike? Well, he's been driving this point home, and of course, there's, there's no comparison. The Jews just had too much going for them, as we do as Christians. I have never met someone that could uh, put down the basics of the gospel. The fact that you are a sinner, you do evil things, you have evil thoughts, and if you tell me you don't, you just prove my point by lying to me. Uh, you have a conscience, even if you have seared it with a hot iron. You still know right from wrong. And uh, where does that come from? Um, and you know, some, and they try to have this respectable departure. Like, well, oh, you believe what you believe. Well, I believe you're dumb. <laughs> no, not if I think you can beat me up. I won't say that. But anyway, verse 6. Uh, for you younger Christians, you wouldn't say that even if you could take them. That's the flesh. Uh, they lavish gold on, uh, out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it God. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. So he's hoping to shock through satire those that may just still have a chance to renounce their sin, to repent Um, Man-made opinions about God, the essence of idolatry, whether mental or material, people making gods are idolaters. Now, the respectable make-believe is, let's be tolerant of religions that will send you to hell. Uh, That's what the world does. Cain's fruit basket ignored the violence of sin. If you have any sense uh, or of, of sympathy towards suffering animals, you got to understand that goes back to Eden, where God killed two animals and lamented over that. Thus, the 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 the, vital, the, the power of the blood sacrifice that Abel brought. Abel was saying, "They died in my place. i, I you know it, it was bloody murder, and I repent." Cain wanted to sidestep that. Well, any time a pastor steps into the pulpit and actively dodges addressing sin from the Scripture, he is presenting a fruit basket to God. No blood on that one. Everybody can feel very happy with pineapples and peaches. What about my sin? I can get all that stuff outside the church, but what I'm supposed to get in the house of God is a right relationship with God in spite of how messed up I am. And that's what Abel's sacrifice was. God, this is a messed up deal. But you want us to keep this in front of you. Because when it gets behind us, we become idolaters. We become evil. We become all the things you don't want us to be. And thus, the blood of of Jesus Christ is such a big deal. It is everything. And uh, so, this, this is serious stuff. And every Christian should understand when you look at the cross of Christ around someone's neck it 's got blood on it, or it's it's failed to to its symbol has failed uh, anyway, not the cross but the, the what how the person perceives it verse and and you know there are a lot of people with, wearing crosses that have nothing to do with christ <laughs> they are the opposite verse seven uh, they bear it on their shoulder, they carry it. Set it in its place, and it stands from its place, it shall not move. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. Um, so he's been covering this. I, in chapter 40, in verses 18 to 20, just as one place, he's covered this. Um, it just it stands in its place, it's not moved. Though one cries to it, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. Well, what about Christians? Well, Christ's disciples, we are trained from Scripture through the Holy Spirit to distinguish unanswered prayer from the absence of God. We are taught in Scripture to make these distinctions. Our Bible is full of character examples as to why our God has apparent inaction, but is not inactive. Uh, his weak, his weakness is doesn't. He doesn't have a weakness. Luke twenty four. Aside from the whole book of Job, Luke twenty four is probably one of the best examples of understanding our God by not granting our request is still very active. Father, if this is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then there is that witness of the Holy Spirit in the midst of unanswered prayer where God says, I know what I'm doing and you don't. I just need you to abide. And we, yes, Lord. So Christianity is not mere religion. It is life in God because of life, the life of Christ. And mere religion is looking for God. Christianity is God looking for man. And that's one of the distinctives. And so we know why God uh, doesn't grant, well, we don't know the details, but we, we know enough about God to understand that he does not always say yes and he does not always say no. Uh, whereas the idols, it was just a free-for-all. Uh, verse, And it was just nothing to back it up. What if, you made, what if I make an idol that hated your idol? How does that work? I mean, which one is right? Well, they, they did that stuff. And that's why you've got this hierarchy of gods fighting with each other in Greek mythology, for example. Verse 8, remember this and show yourselves, men, recall to mind your transgressors. Uh, so God puts them and say, hey, remember that you, you're sinning. Uh, you've robbed me of my honor and you've given it to one that is not worthy. Verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So the insistence of this is, is critical. Um. Deuteronomy, God talks about him giving the land to the people, uh, the promised land, taking them out of Egypt. Deuteronomy four 35, we'll take this one. The preceding verse, verse 34, I won't read it, but it gives the context. To you, it was shown that you might know that Yahweh himself is God. There is none other besides me. So Isaiah is repeating that, and uh, the Jews in the days of Moses had... Uh, Tangible proofs of these things. And they were to preserve them with the many monuments uh, that uh, Joshua and Moses had, had put up. David, in his prayer of gratitude, when God had forgiven him of, of horrible sins, David wrote, Therefore you are great, O Lord Yahweh, for there is none like you, nor is there any gods beside you, according to all that we have heard without ears. Bottom line is, Lord, you are real and there's no one else. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And the many fulfilled prophecies, I think it's around 26, 28% one one scholar has calculated of the pro- the Bible being prophecy. Uh, how many prophecies concerning the coming of Christ. Uh, 300 of them fulfilled. It's just phenomenal. Uh, it's just, uh, but if you, don't, if you don't want to hear it, then, then I it's, it's going to bounce off of you. So, verse 10. Um, of course, Eden, we, we learn that fulfillment of prophecy is often delayed. In the day that you eat of the tree, you will surely die. What well, she and Adam ate, and they lived a long time. Before, before they died, Adam, almost a thousand years Adam lived, but he did die. And that whole Genesis 5 is, and he died. <laughs> they're, just, they're all dead and gone, with the exception of Enoch. Verse 11, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will do it. And this is Cyrus. Uh, He's coming from Persia, which is about a thousand travel miles from uh, Persia to Jerusalem. And so, uh, did not happen in Isaiah's lifetime. By faith, they accepted it. But that generation that uh, did uh, return to Judah, uh, they, they lived through it. Verse 12, listen to me, you stubborn hearted who are far from righteousness. I don't like that church. It's so negative. (laughs) The prophets, man, are pulling punches. They, They never let sinners forget that sin is not something to play with. Can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned? Verse 13, I bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger. And I will place salvation in Zion for Israel. My glory. So the purpose behind all this Bible study is to cause obedience with action uh, James chapter two I will show you my faith by my works. what good is a Bible study if you, you just get up and contradict everything you learn we see this quite a bit uh, so uh, quite quite powerful things uh, there in isaiah let's let's pray it's our father um, Again, your word is just so inviting, so appealing. And life is so difficult sometimes, many times. It's just this giant enigma. But by faith, not being offended by you, we persevere as uh, many Christians before us have in gallant form. And may you find us eager to obey and uh, always in love with you, May you get us home safely tonight, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.